Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. this morning. I've, I've got an interesting title for my message this morning. You, you may think it sounds familiar, but the title of my message this morning is Feet, Pray, Love. Feet, Pray, Love. And what this speaks of, and what the title speaks of, is an attitude or a perspective um, that we can, I think the, the title is quite fitting considering what we've just been doing. And I have to tell you, this was truly a coincidence. It it occurred to me this morning as I was going through my notes again. So it wasn't sort of contrived, but uh, I thought that was quite fun. Uh, You know, feet speaks of going, speaks of walking, speaks of getting somewhere, right? That's what we use our feet for. Uh, And and it, it speaks about being messengers, if you understand the gospel message. Pray, Talks about a love of a life of expectant devotion. A life of expectant devotion. That's what prayer really is, isn't it? If we didn't expect to meet with God, if we didn't expect God to speak to us when we prayed or to answer our prayers, then what would be the point, right? There is no point. So a prayer and, and consistent, regular prayer denotes an attitude of expectant devotion. I'm devoted to God, but I'm expecting Him to lead me, to guide me, to speak to me. And to answer my prayers according to the words that he promises me. And finally, love, which is practical, sacrificial kindness. Isn't that what love really is? Practical, sacrificial kindness shown out of the value placed on another. Now, you may know that there is a movie based on a very similar title. I'm I'm not sure who got this from who. Actually, I'm quite sure, and I'm sure so are you. It's about someone who goes on this journey of discovery, wanting to find themselves or find meaning for life through religion or through relationships or through food. And if I didn't know Jesus, I would follow the food route, let's be honest. I think there's, there's significant things that can be gained, not just kilojoules and kilograms from a good meal. But, you know, for so many... Dealing with personal pain, dealing with general suffering that we see around us, leaves us often feeling perhaps disillusioned, filled with more questions than answers, wondering, what the heck? How? And many are looking for a different perspective to just try and make sense of the world around them, just trying to make sense of what is going on out there, and for some of us, what on earth is going on in here? What is going on in my mind? What is going on in my emotions? I, don't, I, I can't quite make sense of it all. I'm pretty overwhelmed. And we're looking for a new perspective to somehow try and make, let it make sense, to try and get a handle on it, to try and get some kind of answer that will satisfy us. Now, perspective is a really important thing. Perspective is like lenses through which we view the world. That's what perspective is. So, If I've got rose-tinted lenses, that's where the expression comes in, then everything looks rosy, right? If I have blue lenses, you all look sad. You feeling blue? And so our perspective of how we see God and how we see ourselves and how we see the world around us has a lot to do with how we engage with it. 
It determines how we relate to it. Do I relate to it with negativity or criticism? Is my heart open to it? Am I very guarded because I am fearful? My perspective determines all those things. And we are bombarded every single day with hundreds and hundreds of messages that try to shape our perspective. And you'll have, you know, I mean, just politics, for example, is one way. We've got so many ideologies out there that are trying to shape your perspective. Some of them sound really good and compassionate, but in truth, they are subversive and manipulative. And so you don't even know who to trust. It's difficult. But of course, as believers, for you and for me, the most valuable perspective in the world, in truth, the only perspective that really matters, that carries any weight, is God's perspective. Because He sees things as they truly are. He created everything. And he understands why things are the way they are and how they work. His perspective is the one that matters. His perspective concerning me, my life, concerning my emotions, concerning the things that I am dealing with, matters the most. His perspective of what is really going on in my life is the one that matters. But the truth is, very often, God's perspective is a difficult one to lay hold of because he places the burden of responsibility for that perspective on you and on me. I cannot make an excuse to God and say, I am this way because so and so did. Did you not see what they did to me? Did you not see what they did to me? Because, and to try and justify why I am angry or why. Do you know why we can never do that for God? Because as soon as we start saying, Hey, Lord, look, God, look at them. Look what they're doing. Look what they did. Look what they did. God's rebuttal is very simple. Yes, I see what they did. But look what I did. And that just changes everything. You see, Jesus' perspective or God's perspective over your life and my life is viewed through the lens of the cross. What he did for you and for me demonstrates the greatness of his love for us. It demonstrates the how valuable and precious we are in His sight. And what He was willing to endure to demonstrate His love for us. And so when we begin to get that perspective, and we also awaken to the perspective that every single person, God feels that way about every other single person in the world around us, we begin to see things in a new light. You see, God's perspective is wisdom. There's a really interesting verse in the Bible, and this is the verse we're going to send to the whole message on today. That comes out of Psalm 90, verse 12, and it says this, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's a prayer. It says, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. What does that mean? It's to realize that you and I are only on this earth for a very short time. We're only on this earth for a very short time. I was listening yesterday to an old song I was reminded of, uh, Cats in the Cradle. You remember that song? Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. It's a story about a father who has a child. And he wasn't there when the child was born because he was away. He was flying around. He was, had bills to pay. He's got needs to meet. He's got a career to, to pursue. And the next verse talks about how his child is now 10 and he's so grateful for the ball he's just, his dad has just given him for his birthday. He says, Dad, do you want to come throw a ball with me? He says, I can't now, son. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. And his son walks away smiling and says, well, but 
one day I'm going to be just like my dad. One day I'm going to be just like him. And the story carries on. Go listen to the song. It's a good song. But at the end of the song, the father's now retired. He phones his son and he says, hey, do you want to come spend some time? He says, hey, dad, I'd love to come and spend some time with you. But, you know, I've got my career and I've got this and the kids are sick and I just, this, I can't do it right now. And his dad says, yeah, it's okay, I understand. And it kind of rounds out by saying, the boy did become just like me. He became just like me, so consumed with the affairs of this life, so busy chasing dreams, so busy chasing goals, so busy doing things, that he was not able to appreciate the things that were right in front of him, the people that were right around him. The reason I bring up the song is because it so beautifully articulates the message that this verse is trying to teach us, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Wisdom. The wisdom of God is His perspective on how we are to live our lives. Think of life this way. What is your life made of? It's made of time. It's made of energy. And it's made of the decisions on how you choose to spend those. We don't all have the same amount of time. God knows we don't all have the same amount of energy. All you people without kids telling me how tired you are. Oh, shut up. You have no idea. I say that on behalf of my wife. Because <laughs> God knows in our house the one who bears the brunt. You see, this verse, what it does is it doesn't answer for us all the questions of life. Why are things happening the way they are? What's really going on? It doesn't answer any of those things, but what it does do is it guides us towards thinking about how you and I are going to engage with this world around us. How am I going to use the gifts that I've got, the energy that I have, and the time that I have been allotted to spend my life? Because that is what you and I are doing. This very moment, you are spending your life in this place, listening to something that will enrich you and empower you because it comes from the Word of God. You see, sometimes things can seem overwhelming, truly overwhelming. Let me give you some news, just some news from the world around us over the last week and a bit. Migrant boat sinks off the coast of Greece. 82 confirmed dead. Further 500 may have drowned. Almost 600 people just trying to get somewhere. Talk about people trying to get somewhere. Titan submarine explodes or implodes. All five occupants dead, gone, just like that in a moment. We're not talking about people, you know, we're talking about people who the world would say are successful people, billionaires, wealthy people. And it didn't matter, did it? None of that matters at that moment, does it? The family that are grieving the loss doesn't matter what kind of home they're grieving in. 31 suspected illegal miners die in the free state. They went down the shaft, didn't know there was methane, because you can't smell methane. It has no freight, it has no smell. Dead. And they can't go and recover the corpses because, because of the methane. South African government oversees corruption on a national scale. Chief Justice gets rebuked for insinuating that not enough is being done to stop it. You go make sense of that, can you? War in Ukraine. Conservative estimates, 50,000 people have been killed so far. 250,000 injured. 
That's conservative estimates so far. Can you make sense of any of that? What about the Sudan conflict, the conflict up in Sudan? 3,000 souls killed, martyred, murdered so far. Why? For what? And you might even be asking yourself, where is God in all of this? Where is God? I want to say to you this morning, there's two things you and I need to remember. Number one is this. Nobody gets off scot-free. You see, we long for justice when we hear bad news. The truth is every one of us will one day stand before that judgment seat and give an account to God. Every single one. For what we did, for what we didn't do, for how we treated those around us, for what we valued, and for how we, as we've already said it, spent the life that we have been given. Nobody gets off scot-free. Every one of us will have to answer. But the other thing to remember is this, that God is, where is God? God is right there in the middle of the mess, longing to bring healing and hope in the midst of the mess that you and I have made. You see, this is our mess. This is not God's mess. God didn't start these wars. God didn't create circumstances that are so horrid that people need to flee for their lives just to survive. God didn't do those terrible things. Man has done those things. The power of sin and of evil and of death has caused these things. The Bible says, John chapter 10, verse 10, the enemy comes only, to, only to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me ask you, how's he doing? But he says, in the midst of all of that stuff, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, the mess that we face is all the result of our own selfishness and pride. What is God's solution to this? What does He say to you and me? I want to say to you this morning, folks, you and I, the church, the people of God, the members of the kingdom of God are His answer to the mess. God, what's your answer? You are. God, what's the solution to the suffering I see around me? You are. Who's going to do something? Will somebody please do something? God's saying, I'm delighted. I I agree. (laughs) I agree. Are are you willing? Oh, wait, no, no, that's somebody else. You didn't understand me, Lord. Will somebody else please do something about this mess? But you see, the point is this, that God deals with situations personally. He deals with them in and through us. What we are wanting, folks, is we are wanting an impersonal God who will do something marvelous and just fix the problem. Just fix it. But God never works that way, does He? How did God work in your life? He works personally. He works through changing hearts. And He works through people loving people. It's a personal way. You see, when God wanted to save the world from this condition, what did He do? We all know the verse, John 3.16. God so loved the world that... What world, by the way? The broken world, the sinful world, the messed up world, the world riddled with all the mistakes of man, the world full of people going, where is God? Where is this promised Messiah? What's happening? None of this makes sense. Where are you, God? To that world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And I want to say to you today that God's method hasn't changed. The problems in the world haven't changed, 
And God's method hasn't changed. Romans 8 verse 19 says that all creation waits with eager longing for the receiving or the revealing, I beg your pardon, of the sons of God. When Jesus was revealed as the Son of God, when He came, He turned the world upside down, starting where? With just a few. But He started a movement that literally has covered the entire globe. You know, the Western world, we can say so many things about how it's going wrong and all the things, but where does the sense of morality come from? Of what is right and what is wrong, of what is good and what is evil, of what is the right, and human rights and all of these things. Caring for orphans and widows. Where do all of these things come from? They come from the Judeo-Christian values. They've been adopted as a norm in society, and it's, you know, people, we, we grow up in it now, and we think, oh, it's just always been that way. This is normal. Everybody knows what's good and bad, right? But when we don't understand why, when we don't understand where it comes from, we begin to define once again for ourselves what is good and bad, just like Adam and Eve did. And we make more and more mess. Now, let's be real for a moment. You and I aren't going to solve or resolve the conflict in Russia. South Africa's already sent a delegation to try and do that, and not much happened. (laughs) You and I are probably not going to be doing that. We're probably not going to be working for the NSRI team going out to try and save migrants in the oceans of the world. You see, it's easy to point out all the big things that are going wrong out there in the world and forget the simple truth that most big problems are made up of a whole lot of little problems that went unresolved for a period of time. Did you get that? The big problems we see around us didn't begin as big problems. They began as little things, little heart issues, disagreements, dissension attitudes that were left unchecked, that were never dealt with, that were never brought under the wisdom of God's guidance. And so they festered and they grew and they began like yeast to pollute others around them. You know what it's like around the Bri, men. Hey, what do you think about ESCOM? Oh, geez, but what a load of idiots. And on the rhetoric goes and we start bashing and we start talking down and we're saying horrible things. We hear about that situation and we talk bad about that. I happened to see a bunch of ladies playing cards yesterday. And one mentions one thing, and the rabbit, they go down the rabbit hole. And it's seldom positive. We get caught up in it so easily and so quickly. When you and I look to resolve the little issues in our own hearts and our own lives, and then once we come into healing and wholeness, begin to help those around us resolve the little issues that are in their lives, folks, we're sowing the seeds of the kingdom. We can literally... Isn't that how Jesus did it with his 12 and with the 70 and the 120? He taught them. He helped them solve the issues that were right at hand, and in so doing, started a movement that changed the entire world. So what might this look like for you and for me? Well, how about sorting out the issues in your marriage or in your relationship or in your finances? How about starting there so that you are in a better position to help others? Bringing order into that place in your life, into that sphere of your life. How about looking for opportunities to show a little bit of love and kindness to those around you? Do you think that's not going to make a big difference in the long run? 
I'm sure all of us could probably point to, to significant moments, significant events in our lives where somebody came in and interjected and spoke either a word of encouragement or direction or gave assistance in some kind of way that literally changed the trajectory of our lives. I can certainly claim that. Those little things make a huge difference. Let me read to you some other headlines of what this might look like. Some may seem extreme, others just within reach. How about this one? In Vietnam, a remarkable woman has adopted 346 children after overcoming a life of incredible hardship which started when her parents left her on her doorstep as a foundling. There's a tired woman. Forgive the pronunciation. Uh, Hoyon Tiu Hyong, whom national media has dubbed Mother Teresa of Vietnam, runs a non-for-profit organization dedicated to the adoption, support, and free offering of love, of loving kindness to foundlings, orphans, and homeless children. After surmounting the cruelest hardships in post-war Vietnam, everyone on earth would understand if Miss Yong had instead used her success to build a life of luxury, indulgence, and security. Instead, instead, she dove headlong back into the world that made her, making a difference to others in a way that was never possible for her. A life laid down. Okay, maybe that's a bit extreme. How about this one? The son of Superman and Lois star Dylan Walsh turned into a superhero himself to save a driver whose vehicle plunged into the water of Baltimore's inner harbor. That's a pretty cool one. I can see all the men here going, yeah, I would have done that. How about this one? An eight-year-old learned that the waiter at his local waffle house was living in a motel because he had no other place to live. And so took it upon himself to raise funds for him and managed to raise $100,000 for him. What is that in rands? That's it's two million rand. An eight-year-old. I need to speak to my kids. They're underachieving. <laughs> Another one. How about this one? A local church community drew together to raise some funds to give some socks to some underprivileged kids and some beanies. They managed to get 1,500 pairs of socks and 300 and something beanies within the space of, of a week. Very simple, right? Very simple. Very simple. Just little deeds. Little acts of going beyond ourselves, of being the ones willing to not just see a need and point out that need and complain about that need, but to ask the very simple question, can I do something in this situation? What can I do? How can I be a solution in this situation? And sometimes, folks, I want you to understand this, not every need has your name on it. You're not called to meet every need. You'll burn yourself out trying. But there are some that do. There are some that do have your name on it, and they're generally just at hand. How about another good news story? During the time it takes me to share this message, message more than 7,500 new souls will come into this world. New babies born. Joy at new life. Families that are growing. Love that is coming to fruition. Question is, folks, what kind of world are you and I going to shape for them? What kind of world are we going to give them? 
Yes, I acknowledge that there is a lot of pain and there is a lot of suffering out there, but do you realize what that means? What that means for you and for me is that you and I are presented with a myriad of opportunities to share the love and the peace and the kindness of God every single day. Where there is hurting, we carry healing. Where there is brokenness, we carry the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. There is something within you because Jesus is within you that enables you to speak words of love and encouragement and to see somebody from God's perspective when the whole world around them is telling them that they're worthless, that they're not good enough, that they don't look right, they don't sound right, they don't speak right, they don't act right, and God is saying to you, they have no right because I love you. And the degree to which we embrace that challenge will determine the influence that you and I are able to have. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Since we're on feet, let's talk about them. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Ladies, I want to tell you, you don't need a pity. You just need to tell people about Jesus. And you'll have beautiful feet. The Bible says so. You see, we're raised within a worldview that teaches us about self, that teaches us that money is the principal thing, the most important thing. Our whole educational system is set up and geared up to teach and empower so that you can one day go out and make money and make a living and be successful. And we measure success by wealth, don't we? This is the lens, this is the worldview or the perspective of the world around us. And I want to tell you, it's not just the perspective of those who are wealthy. It's the perspective across the board. The poor man is trying to get wealth. He's trying to get in. You know, some, I saw something the other day that, that really broke my heart. I, uh, I was at a shopping mall, and there was a betting company, a betting, you know, sports bets and all this kind of thing, a gambling company that had set up a store and were trying to get people signed up so that they could bet and do these things. And what broke my heart was the people that were going there to sign up. It was people who were just looking for some kind of way to get out of their situation. Who really should not and could not afford to be betting. You know, if you've got excess and you want to play games with your excess, play your games. But if you want to stake your future on a game, that is very foolish. This is so dangerous. And this spirit goes deep, deep, deep within the heart of men. Now listen, if we live in a world that doesn't know Jesus and that is entirely focused on self, that makes sense, doesn't it? I have to look out for myself. I have to provide. I have to make a way for my family. However, if you and I belong to Jesus and if our hearts have been truly gripped by the love of Jesus Christ then this becomes problematic because you will find that you are now dealing with divided loyalties. The greatest grapple for most of us, especially in the Western church today, is this idea of divided loyalties. It's the idea that I can be in church on Sunday, I can sort of do my Christian thing now and then, maybe on a Wednesday night, but the rest of the time I'm still living for myself. I'm loyal to my career. I'm loyal to my needs. 
I'm loyal to what is important to me. In other words, these, my loyalties are divided between what I want and what is important for me and what is good, what I consider to be good for my life versus what it is that God sees in me and the plan that he has for my life. And Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read the portion of Scripture here from the New Living Translation. He says this, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what do they mean by money here? It's that spirit of going to try and get more, get more, have more, be more, make a name for myself. It's really rooted and driven by pride. And Jesus says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you of far more value than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? You can almost hear the, the proverb or the psalmist say, teach us, Lord, to number our days. Give us wisdom. Because we only have so many and we're running, chasing after things that have no eternal value. We are running after and doing things that probably make no difference in anybody else's life around us. In fact, potentially make their lives more difficult. Jesus carries on. Why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Let's pause for a moment. Is God saying that, that these things are wrong, that they are evil? You know, clothing, oh, bad. Money, oh, no. No, that's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is to live for these things is futile. To live for the status that clothing brings or that money brings. It's futile. He also says you're trying to do something and provide for yourself because you want to do it your own way. However, if you are my child, verse 30, if God cares wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Oh, you of little faith. Here's where the loyalty gets divided again. Do I really believe that God will take care of me? In the midst of everything I see around me, of all the mess, of all the stuff that doesn't make sense, do I still believe in a good God that cares for and provides for His children? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, those who don't have a heavenly father. But your heavenly father already knows your needs. So here's what you should do. Seek first the kingdom of God. This, this translation says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. It's very interesting, folks. It doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God. But it does say seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say don't take care of your family, don't meet your children's needs, don't you know, put away some money for retirement, don't make provision. It doesn't say don't do any of the things that we know are sound wisdom. But it says don't put your trust in them. <clears throat> don't pursue those things first. There is a higher priority than all of these other pursuits that are all self-based and generally fueled out of fear. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says, all these other things, I, as your heavenly Father, will add to you. 
I will make sure you get what you need and you have what you need. So don't worry about for tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Again, our foundational scripture this morning speaks to us about being thoughtful and deliberate about what we do with the precious life we've been given. It speaks right into the scripture again. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain wisdom, that we may be deliberate about how we live our lives and what we are giving ourselves to. If we are not deliberate about that, we will get taken away with the flood of things that need to be done, all the urgent things that are not important. You know, if you do business leadership training, they'll actually paint for you a diagram that has four squares in them, and there's four categories of tasks as you are prioritizing and planning your day. There are those things that are important and urgent. There are those things that are important but not urgent. There are those things that are urgent but not important, and those things that are unimportant and not urgent. And we tend to spend a lot of time doing things that are unimportant and not really urgent, or unimportant but urgent, and neglect the things that are truly important. Jesus says to you and to me, when we put first things first, the other things begin to take care of themselves. When we neglect to put first things first, we are given to little problems that escalate and that grow and that turn into habits and that turn into mindsets and that turn into big problems that grow and snowball until we have things like wars and famines and things in in our lives, and things in situations around the world. Because those little things, right at the very beginning, the priority was given to the wrong thing. It may seem oversimplified. I get that there's a macro scale to this. But I do believe that God's Word is so clear on this. We want to solve big problems, but we can't come up with simple solutions to deal with the things that are in our everyday lives. There's a very popular thinker out there these days. His name is Jordan Peterson. Young men are flocking to his teaching. Why? Because he, teaches, he starts like this. He says, you want to change the world? Start by making your bed. You can't make your bed. You can't run a budget, but you want to go and solve world peace, world hunger. Number your days. Be wise. And the Apostle Paul guides us on how we ought to do this, how we ought to live out our lives, how we can practically begin to focus on this to bring about the kind of change that we want to see in our lives and that God surely wants to see in our lives. Romans 12, we'll read first two verses and then we'll jump to verse 6 and read on from there. It says this, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Just listen to these words. I'm pleading with you. I'm begging you. The future you desire depends on this. The growth of the kingdom of God and His love and the expansion of that influence depends on this. I'm begging you, he says. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that that He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're we're coming right back to where we started. Perspective. As we give ourselves to the Lord, we begin to gain His perspective and walk in His ways which are good and pleasing and wonderful, not just for the world around you, but for you. 
Verse 6, in His grace, God has given us gifts, different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak with as much faith as He has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. Give your heart to that. If your gift is to encourage others, then don't keep your mouth shut. Be encouraging. If God has given you the leadership, if, if giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Let me ask you this, church. Have you noticed that every one of those gifts has been given to you and I for the benefit of others? That is what a gift is. I want you to understand when God gives you a gift, He gives you something to make you a gift so that you can come into a situation and be a gift to somebody else. A godsend. You know what a godsend is? We use that word. It's, it's somebody who just seems to be sent by God at a particular moment to meet a particular need in a particular way that was just remarkable. It is a demonstration of God's kindness. Verse 9 talks about the attitude and the perspective. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. It's very easy to pretend to love others. Do you know how I know this? Because we do it every Sunday. Hi, nice to see you. Really? It's so nice to see you. Have you got a photo of me? Then you can look at me all the time. So, we'll, yeah, we'll chat again. We'll chat again. Really? Are you going to phone me or are you waiting for me to phone you? When are we going to chat again and about what? Can I come visit you? Pastor, no. Awkward. No. No, no, no. No. Don't just pretend to love each other. Don't just pretend. Don't just say all the right things and be kind. Hey, let's be genuine. Hey, I want to go and have a cup of coffee. Can we meet? I'm going to take the initiative. We'll decide later who pays. Really love others. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. There are some people in this church who have an anointing for the drukki. In fact, they're so good at it, when they give it, it's a druk. It's special. If you, if you want that anointing, I won't point out names, because otherwise they'll be inundated with people who just need a squeeze. Genuine affection. Never be lazy, but work hard. And this is, this, is, this is, I must be honest, this whole message was born out of these next four words. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Oh, I have to go and do this again. Oh, I've got to go and do... Guys, we're losing the plot. If we cannot sort out our own attitudes and our own, our own, um, our own attitudes and initiatives and things, what are we doing? Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. Instead of feet, pray, love, it could have been hope, pray, endure. 
the point is that there is a, a journey that we are on, on this wonderful life that we've been given, and we have been so wonderfully empowered to make a difference and to show kindness into the lives of those around us. You know, there are some people, I, I, I've come to learn something. It was, a, it was a really hard reality for me to come to terms with. I have grown up in a home of unconditional love. My parents are married, I think I've been married 48, 49, 50 years, something like that, somewhere around there. I always tease my parents, I say, you've been married longer than I've been alive. And I always say, that's a good thing. <laughs> I've only ever known unconditional love. When our family come together, we always leave happier than when we arrived. There's always joy and love around our tables. It is just heaven on earth. It's bliss. But I've come to learn the sad reality that what I thought was the norm is in fact the exception. Many people, even in their own homes, do not know what sincere and genuine love is. They know a conditional kind of love built, built on manipulation. But sincere care, love, sacrificial giving, it's not the norm. You and I have been called into a kingdom where that is the very heartbeat of its nature so that you and I can go into a world that is crying out for something they've never even tasted. But when they see kindness, when they see sacrificial love, it makes all the difference. You can carry on. Oh, by the way, I encourage you, I'll give you homework. Go to that scripture in Romans chapter 12 and keep reading. It tells us how to treat those who hate us. It tells us how to treat those who treat us unkindly. It's a love that is, has the power to change the world and to break bonds. And it begins in our prayer life. It's where it originates. This is what orientates and directs the affairs of our lives. This intimate relationship with God that you and I have. That's why it says pray, hope, endure. Pray, hope, endure. Continue to look to the one. Continue to receive that communication. Continue to engage with the one whose perspective is right and true, always concerning you and concerning the situations you are facing. Because if you don't, what happens? We get pulled away with the flood. All the other messages get in. Listen, you can't stop them getting in. But you can choose to be deliberate about putting God's thoughts first, putting them in, because they will ultimately displace the rest. Light always displaces darkness. At the center of all I've shared today, there is a loving Heavenly Father whose heart breaks for the bad things that are happening in this world. The big things and the very small things, just in your vicinity, maybe in your life, in your circumstances. His heart is aching for intimacy with those who call themselves his sons and his daughters. As we engage with the God of love that we claim to worship, he will make us into representatives of his wonderful love. He will, through us, bring hope and kindness and love and healing to the world around us. This is what you and I are called to. This is what you and I are commissioned for. So let us, as the psalmist says, you can put it up one more time, please. Say to the Lord, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.